Well, this morning, uh, we're just going to bring a real simple message uh, as we end this year. Um, for, for those who last year, at the beginning of this year, actually, uh, from January, I think, 1st through the 3rd, uh, we had a fasting and prayer retreat. And uh, we had probably about 10 to 15 people go. If you went, um, I have a letter. During that time, what we did was we wrote a prayer uh, to the Lord God, things that we're praying for and things that we're asking God for. And at the end of our service today, if you were there, um, I would like to give these back to you to see, um, for you to see how God was faithful and how he showed up and ministered uh, and, uh, and really answered the prayers that you lifted up uh, to him at that retreat. Uh, this morning, I was in my, in my office and I was uh, reading the letter that I wrote and um, it started out, Father, I'm praying that come December 20, uh, 31st, 2015, a uh, bunch of things, I'll have rekindled uh, a love for you. I'll have a soft and sensitive heart. I'll love the cross more than I do today. I'll not waste time. I'll love and disciple my family. I'll guard my day. A bunch of things like that. And as I was reading this, um, yeah, it was, a, uh, it was just for me a real uh, testimony uh, to the faithfulness of our God who sustained and strengthened and blessed and guided me, our church, our family uh, throughout this year. Now, I don't know what metric or rubric you use to, to, to judge how you did this year, how this year was for you, especially as it relates to, to spiritual things. Maybe you wrote yourself a letter at the beginning of the year and you'll look back. And you know, My hope is that as we look back on this year that was, 2015, uh, some of us, well, I think some of us are, are going to say, yeah, you know what? I grew a lot this year. I really grew a lot this year. From January 1st, from last year, if you're in high school, middle school, from last year's uh, winter retreat until now, man, I'm a a different person. I've grown so much. I've come a long way. Maybe for for others of us, we have some different kind of system of of analyzing and interpreting how we're doing. Uh, But my hope and prayer is that a lot of us, all of us would be able to say, yeah, I grew a lot. That this was the best year of my life until this point in, in my young life. Uh, it's been the best year. But I think if we're honest, and some of us are going are, are gonna to say maybe, uh, you know, I grew a little bit. I, I did grow. I grew a little bit, and it was a good year. Strides were taken, and, and a lot of great things happened. Maybe others of us will say, I, I grew, uh, maybe, yeah, but I feel like pretty much I, I was, I was pretty, pretty stagnant this year. Others, as you look at, maybe as you look at this letter that you wrote, or maybe you look at your New Year's resolutions or whatever it might be, uh, you may even say that uh, I regressed a little bit this past year, which is okay. And still others may say, I grew, but sadly, I grew in things that didn't really matter. This morning, the message that I want to bring is very simple, just one simple idea what would it look like if we resolved and committed to one thing, just one thing, this upcoming year? What would it look like if we were to do that? And I think I'm pretty sure I'll give you the answer that we would be thinking come December 31st, 2016. If we resolve to this one thing, then I believe that 2016, hands down, will be the greatest year of our lives. Is that saying too much? I don't think it's promising too much. I really believe that if we were to, to, to eliminate all of these lesser things and just focus on the one thing that really matters, that this upcoming year could be a year unlike any other. Because I always believe, because this is what I believe the Bible says, that our best days are always ahead of us. Our best years have yet to come. The best things are always future for us. Let's read a simple verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
It's going to, just one verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. I'm, I'm going to just pull out three thoughts from it that I think are helpful to us as we end a year, as we begin a year, so that this might be oh, for all of us as a church, uh, the greatest year, uh, the greatest year of our lives. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul. It says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. All right, one more time. We read one more time because it's short. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is God's word. Here's a memory verse that you can enter into the new year with. This is a great one to commit to memory, to put it on a rubber band, to write it on a rubber band, put it around your wrist, whatever it might be, but something that we can commit our lives to and wrap our lives around. What does it mean? Here's the, the three thoughts. The first thing that I want to mention here is that um, we don't become great by accident. <laughs> okay. We don't become great by accident. Uh, look at what he says, verse 2, for I resolved. Okay, this is Paul. The great apostle, the person when we get to heaven who may be sitting right next to Jesus. Right? Paul, the writer of almost half of the New Testament, 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. This is the apostle Paul, the super apostle, the one that everybody looked up to and respected. The one who we want to gauge how we're doing in our spiritual lives. We go to his letters and we see how we're doing. This is Paul and he says, for I resolved. Because he knew that we don't become great by accident. I uh, my, probably my second year down here, I was, I was a youth pastor, and uh, second or third year, we went on, uh, so, uh, Eric Lyons, hi Eric, uh, Eric is back, and uh, while Eric Lyons was a senior in high school, many, many years ago, uh, his graduating class, we went on a senior retreat, so senior retreat at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the school year when they've graduated and before they go off to college, it's kind of their last hurrah, a time for us to bond and to pray and to have fun, and, and we, we do some teaching about what might be expected as we go to college. And so that class of people, we went up uh, to Atlanta. It was a fairly big group, maybe about 10 or 12 people. Went up to Atlanta, and the hotel that we were staying at had a partnership with a local uh, uh, gym uh, called Bally's. And so Bally's, uh, if we stayed at the hotel, they'd give us passes, and we can go to Bally's during the duration of our stay. And so we went to Bally's, and I don't know what we were doing there. I, I mean, uh, some people were working out. Uh, others were swimming in the pool. There was no basketball court. So I was just uh, with some of the guys watching them work out. And uh, at the end of a couple hours there, we got into the car, into the truck. We call it the ice cream truck because it's a big old, looks like an ice cream truck. So we got in the church van, and as we were leaving, I don't know if you guys remember this, but as we were leaving, uh, back it out, back it up, back it up, back it up, poof, I hit a car in the parking lot. I was like, oh my gosh, what was that? Where did that car come from? I realized the car was parked, but it still came out of nowhere. <laughs> and so I was like, oh my gosh, this is really bad. And so I went inside of Bally's and I said, hey, um, I'm in your parking lot and I hit a car. Here's the uh, make and model and here's the license plate. Can you page the person so I could tell them? So they paged the person and, and they came out. We exchanged insurance information. They said, that's not that big a deal and it should be okay. But I had to call, um, call back to church. I had to call our senior pastor in order to tell him to ask for insurance. And so this is kind of a scary thing. And so I called uh, Pastor Inky on his cell phone. And, you know, he's always, he's, always, he's always happy, right? So he's happy to hear from you. David, 
How's it going? How's Atlanta? You guys rocking? Having a great time? I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. Like, everybody all right? I was like, yeah, we're having a great time. Everybody in one piece? I said, yeah, but Moksanim, uh, uh, which means pastor in Korean, I said, Moksanim, uh, I hit a car. He's like, oh. <laughs> he said, everyone okay? I said, yeah, everyone's okay, but, you know, the car got dinged a little bit, and they want to go through insurance, so uh, I think I need to get the, uh, the information. So he gives it to me, and uh, at this point, I start to go through my speech. I was like, uh, I'm really, really, really sorry. Um, the car just came out of nowhere, and I didn't, I didn't see it. And, and it's kind of like Luke 15, prodigal son. The, 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 the kid has his speech, and the father cuts him off. So pastor cuts him off. He's like, David, David, it was an accident. That's why we have insurance. It was an accident. You didn't mean to do it. No, what was he saying? He's saying, listen, you got into an accident. You didn't do it on purpose or else they would call it a purpose. You got into an accident, <laughs> meaning that you didn't mean to do it. It just happened. And so I learned a lesson that day. You can hit a car by accident, but you cannot become great by accident. You've heard this before, haven't you? Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers, says in order to become great at something, you need to invest 10,000 hours into that. Like 10,000 hours. Last year, this past year, 2015, marked the first year or the first time that my oldest daughter, my oldest son, Manny and Elijah, went to an Orlando Magic basketball game. It was really, well, actually it wasn't. It was the first time they went together. And so we went to a game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so I was really excited. I thought, you know, maybe the, this will be the time that they fall in love with basketball. I wanted to show them this great basketball team and teamwork passing the ball and, and this, this festive atmosphere. I wanted them to see who I thought was, on an objective level, the greatest basketball player alive on the planet, LeBron James. I wanted, him to, I wanted them to see it and to, to, to be mesmerized and, and be enamored by, oh, this is such poetry in motion. And I wanted them to fall in love with basketball. But at the end of the night, it wasn't LeBron. It wasn't the magic uniform. It wasn't even stuff the magic dragon or the castle that they were talking about. What was it that they were talking about? When we got into the arena, there was a magic dancer dressed in her blue dancing attire with her pom-poms, and they were saying hi to everybody. And as soon as we walked in and saw her, Manny was fascinated, just kind of mesmerized. And she looked at her and I said, Manny, come on, let's keep walking. And she kept staring. She said, Daddy, I want to take a picture with her. And so because Elijah was there and Elijah does whatever Manny wants to, he said, Daddy, I want to take a picture with her. <laughs> so I said, okay, you guys stand there, take a picture. Uh, it's really funny. I'll show you guys later. But Elijah, he does this nice, like really, really real smile, but very authentic. <laughs> Took a picture. And as we're leaving, Manny said, Daddy, where did she get her costume from? And I said, I think they gave it to her from the, from the dance team. I said, Daddy, uh, where did she get her pom-poms from? And so I said, well, they probably the same place you get her costume from. And so we went and we, and we sat down. And uh, the game, you know, itself, they were really bored. I was trying to watch, you know, this is LeBron James, come on. And they're like, oh, this is so boring. And it's like six minutes into the game, so boring. And then the dancers come out and Manny is watching them. I'm like, Elijah, don't look at them. Manny can watch them, but the rest of us uh, guys, we're not looking at them. So Manny's watching the dancers. And at the end of it, she says, Daddy, 
how did they get so good at dancing? And I assure you that I didn't say, well, they just woke up one day and by accident they bumped their head and they became great dancers like that. That they practiced and they practiced and they practiced because you know that you do not become great at anything by accident. It's not just true. You ask someone got a 2400 on their SAT, right? So you ask them, hey, how'd you get a 2400? They don't say, oh, you know, I just wanted to, to circle in all the A's and because I didn't know what I was doing, I just circled in a bunch of A's and I got my score back, 2,400. Yeah, you know, it doesn't happen like that. You don't get great at your SATs by accident. You think of somebody who's got really big muscles, right? Think of that person in your mind. Why is everyone looking at me? I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so think of someone who has big muscles, right? Right here or right there. Mark or Bill, these guys, big, strong guys. Ask them, how did they... They didn't just wake up one morning and, and poof, 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 all of a sudden they're like ripped. They have to put effort into it. They have to make a decision that I want to look a certain way. It's not just true physically. It's not just true when it comes to talents and skills. It's true spiritually as well. Hey, you don't become great spiritually on accident or by accident. I think a lot of us want to become great. We want to be intimate with God. We want to have a killer prayer life that sees answers to prayer. We want to be able to touch people and the healing of God comes on them. We want to do things like that. But you don't become great in your relationship with God by accident. And so here's what Paul says. He says, for I resolved. I resolved. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a decision that I want to get my life with God right. I made a resolution. You know, can I tell you the anatomy of a resolution? It all begins with the sense of dissatisfaction. Anytime somebody makes a New Year's resolution, they think about where they are and they were like, man, I can't stay this way. I don't like the way that I am. A lot of us don't like the way we are, right? We're dissatisfied. It's that, man, I am, I can't even help my wife bring groceries in. I need to get stronger. And so we're dissatisfied with our physical condition. You know what? I'm never going to make it into the college I want to get into unless I bring up that GPA. And so there's a dissatisfaction. I'm not happy with where my marriage is. There's this dissatisfaction. And then the reason we're dissatisfied is because we think about a destiny that could be far greater. We think about the way marriage used to be when we first got married, when we first started dating. And you say, man, there's a gap between where I am and my destiny, what could be. There's a dissatisfaction there. I want to get into that school. What would it look like if my GPA was just one point, one point higher? What would it look like if my SAT score were 200 points higher? What would it look like for me if my life was different? And in between dissatisfaction and destiny, we think about what do I need to do to discipline myself in order to get to that destiny? This is the heartbeat of a resolution. And so we decide. I have a friend who uh, is in his early 40s now, and he said, you know, uh, I made a decision this year. As I get older and my kids get older, he looked at himself and he looked at his kids and he said, you know what? The best thing, I think the best thing that I could do for my kids' future when they're my age is for me to be healthy. Why? He says, because if they're in their 30s and 40s and they're taking care of me because I'm sick, then it's going to keep them from being able to fulfill their God-given destiny. 
And I don't want to do that. I don't want to rob them of that. So he said, I'm going to get healthy. And he started jogging every morning. And so when I saw him, the last time I saw him, I was like, dude, you lost a lot of weight. You look good. And then he explained to me why. That's the heartbeat of a New Year's resolution, of any resolution. I got to get myself right because I look at where I am. I'm not satisfied. I look at a destiny that could be, and it's far greater. And I'm not just going to get there by accident. I've got to discipline myself in order to get to that place. I know a lot of times, man, these days, it seems like New Year's resolutions have fallen on hard times. It used to be when I was growing up, everybody would make resolutions to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to get my life in order. But a lot of times these days, I think we don't make them as much as we used to. We say things like, I don't want to be legalistic about it. And what does that mean? It says, I, if I do it, if I read the Bible, for example, if I go to prayer meeting, I want to do it because I want to do it. I don't want to be forced into it by some resolution that I make. And yeah, the ideal is that you ought to always desire to do the things that you ought to do uh, for the sake of you know, growing in your relationship with God. But the reality is that it's not always going to be like that. I don't always want to brush my teeth. I do it just when I feel like doing it. I don't always want to take a shower. I don't always want to floss. But because it's the right thing to do, it's going to help me to become healthy. I discipline myself to do those things. Usually, I discipline myself to do those things. And so, yeah, we don't want to, may not want to do these things, but we choose to do that because we know that we're not always going to feel like doing the thing that is right. And then there's others who say, well, you know what? I just, I know I'm going to, I'm going to mess up. Yeah, you probably are. Do you know, I, I read this study by, uh, I forget who it was. They said that 80% of people who make New Year's resolutions break them by Valentine's Day. Like 80%. I don't want to be part of that 80%. Knowing me, I'm going to be part of that 80%. And so I don't want to make resolutions. Can I remind you that we don't become great by accident? Even if you fail, though a thousand times you fail, still his mercy remains. And should you stumble again, you'll be caught in his grace. You get up because you've heard this before, right? When you make a commitment and you fall, in between the time that you commit and the time you fall, you will have actually grown. You understand? So you don't, you don't become great at anything by accident. You commit to doing something. I commit to brushing my teeth every day, twice, morning and night. I fail come January 8th or so. I don't say, oh, because I fail, I'm not going to commit to brushing my teeth. I say, no, because I realized from January 1st to January 8th, my teeth and my oral hygiene was better than it was if I hadn't done this. So we choose. Paul says, I resolved. I made a choice. I made a commitment. Throughout the Bible, you see men of God, women of God, people like Hannah, people like Jacob, people like Daniel. They resolved to do certain things. David, men and women of God, Paul made a resolution. Constantly he made resolutions in order to be the kind of person that God called us to be. Can I resurrect this idea of resolutions? And say, yeah, you know, I I know that there's a fear of failure. But just because we break our resolution doesn't mean we shouldn't make a resolution. Because in between that time we grow. And we have to know that we don't become great by accident. Because you ask people, have you made a resolution? Have you not made a resolution? I think most people who don't make resolutions will end up saying, I didn't grow the way that I wish I had. So Paul made a resolution. Great men of God. Jim Elliott made a resolution. 
Jim Elliott, great missionary statesman, he's the one who was martyred in Ecuador right around the region in which we go. He says, I will not eat things that will cause me to be fat. I will work out. Why? So that I can, be, when I get down to minister to these Indian people in Ecuador, my body will be fully ready so that I won't be tired. I won't be uh, lazy. I won't run out of breath. I want to be healthy so that I can serve these people to the best of my ability. Jonathan Edwards, tons of breath. He said, I will not eat anything or eat uh, the amount of food that will cause me to be drowsy so that I will not be able to fully be awake to give myself to God. These great people of God made resolutions in order to follow after the Lord God. Paul says, I resolved. The second thing that we see, the second thing that we see here is that we need to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except uh, Jesus Christ. Paul understood that there are certain things that are worth making resolutions for. He says, I resolve to know nothing. I don't want to know. I mean, our minds are filled with so many things, right? So many things. Did you know? And I, I say this just to impress you, okay? So listen. Did you know that when you type at a typewriter or at a computer, 56% 56 of your typing comes from your left hand? Do you know that? Yeah. Wow. Crazy, right? I'll tell you something else. Do you know that if you have a dollar bill, I know people don't carry paper money anymore, but if you have a dollar bill, there are 293 ways to make change for that dollar bill. Do you know that? Yeah. Don't start counting them. I know some of y'all can do that in your head, but don't. Did you know that there are more chickens than people in the world? Yeah. Yeah. One last one. When you see advertisements, when you see advertisements, the time that is typically shown on a watch or on a clock is 10.10. Very interesting. I read this online. Yeah, and everything you read online is true. (laughs) So I read these facts. We can know a lot of things, but we can know a lot of things that don't really matter, that don't really make a difference. Sometimes I hear, you know, people are talking about, uh, oh, my gosh, did you know? I cannot believe this is Kobe Bryant's last year. Did you know that? Kobe Bryant is only shooting 34% from the field. That's terrible. No, no, no. That's actually 31%. No, no, no. 31 is the, is the, is the wrong number. 31 is actually how many points Steph Curry averages in, 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 per game for the Golden State. We're talking about all this stuff, and sometimes I'll say, man, but you can't even memorize Bible passages that well. We're really good at a lot of things. But maybe we've become really good at things that don't matter so much. You know, sometimes you hear people talking and groups of people get together and they all kind of congregate into their groups based on what they like talking about. There's that one group that's talking about Star Wars. There's another group that's talking about cars. There's another group that's talking about cooking and and all of these things. And they're so passionate. No, no, no. He's not the best chef. She's the best chef. No, he's going to win top chef. No, she's going to win top chef. And and at a certain point, you think, man, what if we were that passionate about Jesus? If we couldn't stop talking about Jesus the way that we can't stop talking about that boy band or the way that we talk about that TV show that we love watching. What if we were that passionate about Jesus? He says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ. What would that look like if our lives were dominated by this one central idea that I want to know Jesus? 
Like how different would life be? Because we often forget him for the sake of all of these other things. But like Jesus said, only one thing is needed. A couple of years ago, as we, were, we were preparing for a mission trip to Ecuador. And one of the crafts that, that we were making was this salvation bracelet. You've seen them before, right? This bracelet, and they've got different colored beads that represent different parts of the gospel message, right? And, and so there's a group of people, and they were kind of running this thing. And I think one of them was Isaac and uh, Isaac Lee. And some other folks were back there, and they said, okay, look, black, black is the bead that goes on representing sin, right? We're all sinners. White represents the fact that we've been cleansed and our sins are forgiven. Uh, Blue represents the waters of baptism. We get baptized, we join a church. Green represents growth, like grass grows, trees grow, represents growth. And yellow represents heaven. And then the knots represent the fact that we will never lose our salvation. And they're talking about, they're getting really excited. And they look at it and they're like, looks like something is missing. It looks a little bit smaller than it usually does. And I remember walking into, and they had, they had made a bunch of them already like that. And, uh, so I, I remember walking in, and I looked at it. And I said, yeah, something looks weird. Black, right, so the sin, purity, baptism, growth, heaven. I said, ah, I know what's missing. It's the red one. It's the thing that actually gets us from black to white. It's the blood of Jesus. <laughs> Guys, you forgot Jesus. <laughs> And so I took the table and I threw it over. I'm just kidding. Okay. Yeah! <laughs> you forgot Jesus. You forgot Jesus. And boy, we forget Jesus a lot, don't we? We've got everything else looking okay. But we don't have Jesus because we forgot him. You know, as we make resolutions this year 2015 2015 the top new year's resolutions were i want to lose weight i want to get organized i want to get healthy i want to start a hobby i want to travel more i want to read more all right those were the top six resolutions we make resolutions about a lot of different things but what if we made a resolution to know jesus to really know jesus Can I tell you the sad reason why many of us don't make resolutions around our relationship with God? Because we make resolutions based on our dissatisfaction and we usually get dissatisfied about things that mean a lot to us. To the one whose health means something to them, they will resolve to get healthy to the one whose family means something to them, they will make a resolution about their family. To the one whose mental growth means something to them, they will make a resolution about that. And to the one for whom Jesus means something, we will want to grow out of dissatisfaction into our God-given potential and destiny. Guys, we need to keep the main thing, the main thing, And the main thing is Jesus. The last thing, the last thing, resolve uh, to know Jesus, right? Resolve to know Jesus. Make a resolution to know Jesus and the gospel. What is it about Jesus? What is it about Jesus that Paul resolved to know? Because there's a lot of things. Is it his teaching? We spent a lot of time talking about his teaching, 
countercultural. Oh my gosh, this is Jesus teaching amazing stuff. He didn't say that. I resolved to know Jesus and his power. Do you know that we began last year, 12, 10, 12 weeks, looking at the miracles of Jesus? It's not, don't even, not, it's not that. What did he resolve to know? I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So the one thing I want to know above anything else, one thing I want to be smitten, conquered, destroyed, dominated by in my life is by the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you long to know the message of the cross like never before? I pray that you would because that changes everything. To the degree that we don't know the message of the cross and we've lost sight of it, then the Bible will just be about good advice. I got to do all these things. I got to do all these things. I got to do all these things. And it feels like the weight of the world on you. You just kind of picture this hot air balloon where the balloon is like this, this small. And then here's this huge thing that that little balloon has to lift. And you're like, I can't get anywhere. But to the degree that you know Jesus Christ and him crucified, it will be good news first before it becomes good advice. And then the balloon gets huge so that you're carried along by the power of the glory of the gospel in your heart. If all we know of the Bible is it's good advice, we're never going to get very far. But when the Bible becomes good news and the cross conquers our hearts and melts our hearts and reshapes our hearts in order that away from the ways of the world that's crooked and bent, the cross begins to reform us and reshape us, then we will say, Lord, I delight in doing your will. I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. I'm free, free to run, free to live, free to dance for you when the cross conquers our hearts. What happens when we do? Do you remember last year or two years ago? I forget when it was when we were going through Lent and uh, we were preaching through the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. And every week we would sing man of sorrows, gazing upon the cross. And we, we, we didn't sing that last part, see the stone is rolled away until Easter. But throughout Lent, we were gazing upon the cross and just being drilled with the cross and seeing week after week the agony of the cross and what Jesus went through. So that come Easter Sunday, man, there was an eruption where we're just waiting to sing. What happens when we gaze at the cross? What happens when we kneel in the dust at the foot of the cross where mercy paid for me? What happens when we kneel in that place and we linger? What happens when we survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died? What happens when we get to that place and gaze upon the man of sorrows, the Lamb of God, beaten, mocked, and scorned? What happens when we do that? We have to ask why. Why did he do that? Why did he die for me? Why did he die? Not only die, but why did he be crucified? Why did he pay the most painful death, the most heinous death reserved for the worst of criminals so bad that Roman citizens would never crucify their own people? Why? You cannot look at the cross and not ultimately get back to our own sin. Because you see, we can cover up our sin. We can hide our sin. We can run from our sin. But the cross forces us to look at how sinful we are. 
And whenever we look at the cross, the Puritans used to say, look at the cross twice. The first time you look at it, you look at the fact that Jesus died for your sins. That God Almighty, the Christmas child, the one whom angels adore, angels roar to sing about him. That he was crucified for your sins and for mine. That's how awful our sin was. We try and sugarcoat it and say, I made a, it was a mental lapse. It was a mistake. I tripped and fell. No, it was sin that killed the son of God. That's what it is. Your lust, your lying, your anger, your pride, your lack of desire to love people. That's what killed the son of God. Nailed him to the cross. We can easily overlook that. And so the cross doesn't become wondrous to us. We sing about it. It's cool on Sunday. When other people are moved by, we get moved by, but that's it. Saying, come back to the cross. I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But then he says, they say, look at the cross a second time. Because here the first time you look at it and you see how awful your sins are. But the second time you look at it, you see that Jesus died for you. You see how loved you are. What kind of love is this? That would trade heaven's throne for a Roman cross. You look at the cross the first time and you see that Jesus had to die because I'm so sinful. You look at the cross a second time and you see that Jesus was glad to die because he loved you and me. And so we say, may I never lose that wonder. I don't ever want to lose that wonder. I don't ever strip the cross of its power in my life. Guys, when the cross loses power, when hell is no longer hot, when sin is no longer wrong, we need to resolve to go back to the cross. When souls could perish alongside of us and we don't care because we don't know the death of the cross, we need to resolve to know Christ Jesus and him crucified again. So what does this look like? It's very simple. Can I tell you how simple it is? It's as simple as this. Find the things that cause your heart to be moved and in wonder at the cross and do those things. There's your resolution. It's as simple as that. Are there songs that you sing that get you in a place where you can see and understand the cross? Christ is enough. May I never lose the wonder. When I survey the wondrous cross, oh, the old rugged cross, at the cross I bow my knee clinging to the cross. Once again, I look up on the cross where you die. What are those songs that do that for you and take you back to that place? Listen to those and linger in the dust at the foot of the cross. For others, repentance does that. For me, repentance always does that. Uh, before every night, before, every night before I go to sleep, I try to repent of the sins that I've committed that day because I want to end that day well before the cross. Not looking at my failures, but looking at the cross. Repent of your sins. Make that a habit of your life. Resolve to not sleep without confessing and understanding the wonder of the cross again in your life. Sharing the gospel with people, not just with unbelievers. Maybe that can be your commitment every day. I'm going to share the gospel with somebody. Sharing that even with believers. One of my professors, Steve Childers, was teaching a class 
with Jack Miller. Jack Miller was a mentor to guys like Childers, Timothy Keller, people like that. He's the one who said, you are far, far worse than you ever dared to believe, but God loves you more than you could ever dare to imagine, dare to dream. Right, Jack Miller was the one who said that, wrote this course called Sonship, understood the gospel through and through. And there was this doctorate class that was being taught at RTS Orlando one January, and all of these students came, and they're all they're pastors, missionaries, church leaders throughout the world. And when they got into that class, uh, Jack Miller recognized that, man, many of them just look beat up. They look tired. They look discouraged. And so he pulled uh, Professor Childers aside and said, why don't you break them into groups of three and have them preach the gospel to each other? And Childers said, I can, I can understand. Break them into groups of three, have them share and pray together. Do you think some of them are really not Christians? And they began to unpack this idea that the cross and the gospel doesn't just get us into the Christian journey. It's what we need every second of our lives in order to grow in freedom and in joy and in health. These groups of three began to share. They just began to cry and their souls were restored and their hearts were renewed in their calling to go forth. May we never lose a wonder there's a uh, this movie that one of our old youth pastors goose used to love it's called 51st states it's a drew barrymore movie um drew barrymore and she she lives in hawaii and she's got this problem where she cannot form and and maintain short-term memories and so whatever she you know she can live a day but then the next day she forgets everything that happened and so uh, i think it's adam sandler is a the, her love interest he likes her and he woos her and he shows his love to her but then the next day she forgets. And so he has to do it over again. And every day he does that. 50 times he has this first date because she forgets. And I don't think that there's a better picture of what it is to resolve to know Christ than to fall in love with him again every day of your life. To go back to that place and let the wonder of God's love woo you and to draw you and to bring you back to him. Guys, if there's one resolution that you make, I want to plead with you. Let it be that you would know Jesus and know the cross better. Because you see, it wasn't just all these other people that made resolutions. In Luke 9.51, it actually says that Jesus made a resolution also. It says that when Jesus had entered Jerusalem, he resolutely set his face towards the city. What was in the city? It's where that last Palm Sunday would take place. It's where he would be tried unjustly. Where he would be convicted of a crime he never committed. And he would be sentenced to death. It was there that he would be beaten and mocked and ultimately nailed to a cross. Hung there, left there to die of suffocation as fluid filled his lungs and he could no longer lift himself up so that he could breathe. Why did Jesus resolve to go to the cross? It's because we make resolutions for things that matter to us. And you mattered to him. And the glory of God 
mattered to him. So he went to the cross so that we could know him. Our response, and that I would know Jesus, to know the cross, to know the gospel, and him only, even if nothing else, nothing else, that I would get this one thing right. Let's pray. Can we, uh, can we pray to the Lord? And I'm not, you know, never in this place do we force you to do anything. In fact, if we ever make a decision for Christ, which I hope we would, every sermon that we preach here from this pulpit, I want to get us to Christ so that at the end you're gazed upon the beauty of our Savior so that you say, because of you, I want to live in obedience. And so if you've seen the beauty of Jesus today, maybe, maybe we can be countercultural and say, I am going to make a New Year resolution this year that I want to know Christ and I want to know him crucified to know the gospel like never before. And maybe when people ask you, it can be an opportunity for you to share with them the wonder of the gospel and you can help to fulfill that resolution by making that resolution now. Can we pray for just a couple moments right now and ask the Lord, Lord, give me strength, give me wisdom. I want to make a resolution that would honor you, that would love you, that would help others to see how worthy you are and that would ultimately, more than anything, help me to see how worthy you are. Can we pray like that for just a minute right now? Let's pray for a minute. Um, I'm going to invite our praise team to come up uh, as we, uh, they prepare to lead us in some time to respond. But let's pray. Yeah, let's pray to God um, just in the quiet of our hearts. Lord, may I be dissatisfied so that I might make a resolution in order that I might live for you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your wonder, for your grace, Lord, for your mercy in us. Lord, we pray that you would touch us and lead us. Father, this morning and this afternoon as we come, we remember the words of the Apostle Paul a little bit later in life. As he looked back on his life, he looked back at the past. He looked at his wins and he looked at his sins. We too look at the wins of this past year and we celebrate your faithfulness. It's in our successes that you bless us and it's in our failures that you teach us. As we look at our wins, we thank you for that and as we look at our sins we bring them before you and ask that you would have mercy on us but for whatever good that happened this year whatever hardship that happened whatever was to our gain may we now consider loss as we begin a new year that this one thing we do forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead may we press on 
toward the goal, our destiny, which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Lord, we need you. May it be the joint resolution of our congregation here at Harvest and for all who are here today from out of town. May it be our resolution that we would resolve to know nothing except Christ Jesus and him crucified. May this be a year that the gospel becomes good to us in a new way and the gospel becomes new to us in a good way and that our hearts be completely captured by the beauty that is our Savior. Thank you. May we continue to respond with all of our hearts as we give ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. <laughs>